Hey guys, welcome back to the Physique Collective podcast. My name is Holly Davidge and today I am joined by the one and only Joppo or Jordan, uh, if you don't know his uh, <laughs> his side name that we all talk to him about. Um, today is going to be an interesting one because basically Joppo is going to be interviewing me so you can get an insight into me, how I click, how I tick, how I think about things and maybe get a little bit of a further idea of who I am as a person as an individual rather than just what you see on Instagram because I think on Instagram you can see I'm a coach I'm an educator obviously a bikini athlete and a competitor but obviously we know there's a lot more behind closed doors and um that goes on in people's brains than what you see on the surface necessarily so it is good to get an insight and I think the more you get to know someone kind of on a personal level um the more you trust them the more you know if you like them as a person and the more you can see if you align with them uh as an individual as well so thank you very much Joppo for your time today I really appreciate it that's all right I am I'm I'm looking forward to doing all of these because and for you specifically I've gotten to know you perhaps more so as a person compared to knowing you more as um what I do see on social media or what everyone else sees on social media so I very much know Holly the person so I think doing these get to know podcasts are good because the side of you guys, uh, for example, you, Joe, Brad, Jasmine, all of that, I I very much admire the people you are behind the scenes, behind closed doors, um, and love those people as a whole. So getting uh, the information out there and people seeing that side of you guys, I think is very important. Uh, and you said there about behind closed doors and things like that. What hobbies do you do outside of training and nutrition hole? What would be like a, a typical downtime for you? So not necessarily a hobby, but for those who don't know, I do still have a full-time job. So I am a scientist, I have a degree in genetics, and I work full-time in clinical trials. Uh, So that takes up my life kind of 40 hours a week or or more, depending. Uh, And that requires a lot of travel um, and going to different hospitals and a lot of work there. Um, So that's kind of my main thing. Obviously, I love training, so I train in the evenings. I am an avid reader. I absolutely love reading. Um, I recently actually lost my Kindle, which has devastated me. Because it was a present, my mom actually got it for me as a present um, during lockdowns when she couldn't see me. She like sent it to me. Uh, so I was devastated when I lost it. So I do need to buy a new one because that thing like comes everywhere at me. It's literally like an extension of my arm. Uh, so I'm absolutely, I love reading. And I kind of intertwine it between fiction and nonfiction. So I try and alternate one or the other because I like to do a mix of both. Yeah. Um, because I think nonfiction, I think there is a trend recently that you must read like self-development books and self-help books and all these like motivational books on how to make money, how to be successful at business, mm. all this kind of thing. But there is something to be said about a nice fiction book with a bit of escapism to take you away from your normal life and to just kind of live in a different world for a bit. Um, yeah. That's something I absolutely love to do. Do you have a do you have a favorite fictional book? So I I'm really bad because I don't actually have a favorite movie, a favorite film, a favorite book, or anything like that because I find that there's just so much nuance to a specific thing that everything is going to have its its pros and cons and its benefits and and what you take away from it. Yeah. Um, but one that sticks to mind, I do recommend people to read if they are trying to get back into reading, because I know a lot of people read as kids um, and they may have kind of come away from that uh, as a pastime. Uh, it's called The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. I don't know if you've read it. No, I haven't. So he's actually, I'm reading another book of his at the moment. It's called Reasons to Stay Alive. Uh, And that one is about like a time where he felt he was overwhelmed with depression and anxiety. And, you know, he was 
nearly at the point of suicide. And then he kind of talks through all the reasons he found to stay alive and why he's so happy he's still alive today. It's really good. But the other one is actually more of a fiction book, um, The Midnight Library, where basically this person uh, dies and they wake up in this massive library full of books and every single book is a permutation of their life. Okay. So they get the chance to try any single permutation of their life that they want. They said, um, can I live the life where I got that job interview? Or can I live the life where I was a rock star? Can I live the life where my cat didn't die? Like literally the tiniest things. And then the effect that makes on their entire life. And then if they enjoy the life, they get to live in it forever. But if they don't enjoy the life, then they kind of dissolve and come back to the library. And it just on goes until they find the life they want to live. It's very, very good. And I learned a lot of lessons from it and even though it was a fiction book yeah what specific lesson did you learn from it I think a lot I think the main thing underpinning it is that regret is often quite a pointless exercise yeah um, because you never know how things are going to turn out like I always say I had a sliding doors moment I don't know if you've ever seen the movie sliding doors no I haven't no so basically I'm going off loads of tangents but basically it's this woman who's running to catch a subway in New York um, and in one life she catches the subway and in the other she doesn't catch it and okay. then the light, then it splits so that she lives two parallel lives and you keep seeing right. how that one tiny thing made such a difference to her life yeah. um, and that all the different aftermath effects that happened results in such a different life for her and that kind of happened to me when I was I just finished university got my degree um I did two interviews on the same day so I had one interview for a PhD position okay. in the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, which was for a tissue engineering uh, project. Um, and then I ran home and then I had a Skype interview with the University of Cambridge uh, to work in their research lab in the Department of Medicine. So I did both the interviews, fell asleep, woke up, got offered both. Uh, so I had to make the decision of, do I want to go down the route of PhD in academia or do I want to escape Ireland try a new thing and like set up a new life somewhere else for a change and and kind of explore the research side of things without committing to a PhD right yeah that was Siri didn't get that (laughs) 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 that was like that was my biggest moment where I think if it weren't for that moment I and I made the other choice I don't think I'd even be training or bodybuilding or anything mad when did you when did you leave Ireland how old were you so I accepted the position in Cambridge in the end because I thought with the PhD, it just wasn't a project I, I thought I'd be passionate enough to to devote four years of my life to. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Cambridge in November of 2016. So I would have been 22. Yeah. Um, and I moved completely on my own. I didn't know anyone there. I moved wow. into a house share with like one other guy uh, who like was always in his room, like never saw him. Uh, <laughs> and it was obviously middle of winter. Uh, so it was quite lonely. Uh, my mum was absolutely devastated me leaving because we are I am so close to my mum like she is like my best friend I absolutely love her so she was like we were all bawling my dad actually flew over as well um to kind of leave me there so we went over to the house he got it sorted and then he was leaving it was the second time in my life I've ever seen him cry when he left me behind because he left me behind in this like my housemate hadn't arrived yet okay he left me in this house in the middle of winter in Cambridge on my own. And the only other time I saw him cry was when his best friend's baby died. Oh. Like that is how bad it was. So he left. And then um, it was a long six weeks until Christmas. And then I came home for Christmas and my mum was waiting for me at the arrivals. And she was like bawling her eyes out, like waiting for me to come in. Um, 
And then the woman beside her was also waiting for their child to come home as well. And my mum turned to the woman and she was like, how long have your, has your child been away? And she's like, oh, like maybe like four years, you know, they've been in Australia. And she was like, what about you? She's like, she's been gone for six weeks. She's like, absolutely <laughs> devastated. Um, so yeah, so no, yeah, then I moved to Cambridge. And then um, I didn't actually start going to the gym until nearly the end of January. Basically, I just... I had nothing to do. Like I'd literally get up, walk to my work, work yeah. nine to five, come home in the darkness and then kind of just wait in my bedroom until the next day. Um, really? And it was just very lonely. And I find it, I really struggled with it. Um, and then literally one day my housemate popped his head around my door and he was like, I'm going to the gym with my friends. Do you want to come? And I was like, oh my God, yeah, friends. This is great. So <laughs> I uh, I went with him. It was a big group of lads and me. We went around every exercise. We did all the bro moves. Like we did all the wrist curls. We did like Ooh, every yeah. kind of bro move you can imagine. Um, and it, it was actually the first time that I had gone to the gym or trained or did any exercise where I wasn't doing it because because I hated myself yeah, I was yeah. doing it purely because I wanted more out of my life because I've been through Weight Watchers Slimming World dietitians I've had you know times where I've been very disordered with my eating and I've you know yeah. my mum has been very worried about me and it has been a bit scary um because I hated how I looked and I just wanted to be skinny like I grew up a little bit chubby yeah um then when I got to the point that I could lose weight I went to the Weight Watchers and Slimming World and I just dieted it all off and because I'm quite competitive, find it a, a bit of a competition and would like right. eat less points than I needed to or, oh, okay. you know, that kind of thing. Um, so this is the first time I actually went to the gym and I was like, you know what? I just want to make friends. I just want to have a good time. Um, and the gym was kind of like a feeder for the hospital that I worked at. Like everyone would work during the day. Everyone would come yeah. over to the gym. So I made loads of friends in the hospital that way as well. Um, and then me being me, obviously I can't really do anything without a structure. So I was kind of browsing on Instagram and I found a coach to help me. So I did like a little, a, like a diet with her for the summer. Okay. I got really lean. Like I actually got pretty, I pretty much got to my stage weight. But obviously really? I, didn't, I didn't have the muscle that I had, I have now, but no. I did get very lean. Um, and I realized like, you know, I can do this pretty well. So then I went into off season, but it's one of those off seasons where you're like, I can just eat whatever I want. And, you know, I have no repercussions and it's all going to be muscle. So probably gained a little bit too much body fat there um and I did that for a few months and then I started my first prep in January of 2018 so you started the gym in January 2017 yeah so I was only training for about a year before I started uh prepping wow so that was that's quite a a close quarters um stumbling into competing and you've been then competing ever since I've been competing ever since. Yeah. So basically I went to body power in 2017 and that was the first time I ever saw a show or ever saw anyone all tanned up and glitzed up. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I couldn't imagine doing that. And then I just started following more and more competitors. And I kind of got the idea of maybe I could try and do this myself. Uh, So when I started the prep, I honestly thought that I was just going to do one show and that would be it. I just wanted to take it off the bucket list, say I've done it. Um, So I was kind of gearing up to think that I hadn't planned any more shows. I hadn't like, saw myself as a future long-term competitor I just wanted to kind of do it to challenge myself and also because when I was younger like I would not have dreamed to wear a bikini on the beach let alone on stage like I just wouldn't have done it like I was the one who was wearing like the tankinis and the one pieces and the cover-ups and to cover myself up so to be able to get on stage like that would have been a very big milestone for me and kind of me saying to my younger self you know 
you will you will feel better about yourself and you will get confident um yeah. even though you don't feel it now do you do you still to this day struggle with any sort of um not hating yourself but but kind of with appearance and things like that because obviously bodybuilding is quite subjective to you know a a aesthetic desire or an aesthetic look and things like that in recent times have you felt that you've got better with those emotions have they improved in say the last year or so so I've actually been speaking to my therapist about this a bit James uh James Elliott who's really helped me recently is I think because I was quite chubby and uncomfortable as a child and I was like bullied for it and it like it wasn't well I, I didn't have a very happy childhood I was I was quite right. a sad child quite a negative child yeah. um that I feel when I gain weight in an off season and I reach weights that I'd been before it kind of reminds me of how I felt back then as silly yeah. as that sounds even though it's just a number oh, yeah. and even though we know that bodybuilding is all about improving your look regardless of your weight so ideally you should be the same weight and just look better yeah uh, but when I see a number on the scale it kind of transports me back to that time that I was that weight last time when I was chubby when I was you know not happy and when I, I didn't like myself yeah so I do it, find that difficult to battle sometimes it's funny you say that because I remember um the other weekend when we were together uh supporting jazz at one of her shows um you showed me a picture a comparison picture of and I think it was you were the same weight right in both photos yeah. One of them was a more recent, and that was you going into off-season or re- already being in an established off-season phase uh, now uh, in comparison to you coming down um, from where you started your last prep. And you were significantly leaner. You actually had more muscle, obviously. Um, but again, I know from that conversation, you said the weight was the thing that kind of um, was getting you down. What would, for you specifically as a coach would you recommend to a client who is perhaps having a a similar sort of thing? So there's various things we can do. Like sometimes in off season, it depends. Like obviously like we are both coached by Joe. um, And the reason why we go to Joe is because we want to be the most optimal at everything. And we want everything to be perfect. Um, So for, for, to a certain extent, you just have to suck it up. um, If you want to be, the best and get the maximum improvements like for me personally I would like to sit lighter than this yeah I know that I could sit lighter than this and do my own thing and coach myself and not get the progress and the results that I want to um so it's like a post I put up yesterday like it's so easy to give into the temptation of dieting for summer or getting leaner because you get the validation from others you might get more likes on Instagram you might get more compliments and you're going to get that instant dopamine hit yeah but like in Atomic Habits or in like all those books about success, the one key factor that everyone has in common is their the ability to delay gratification, mm-hmm. to play the long game. And if you're able to resist that instant gratification, that being lean and all of the validation gives you, it will pay off in the long run. And that's not even just for dieting, it's for every walk of life. Yeah. Uh, it's investing time, putting in the work, you know, investing in the process, being patient, that always pays off. You know, usually the best things in life don't come instantly and they do take time. Uh, So it's just about, you know, remembering that and reminding yourself of that when times are hard. Um, And I do, I do struggle with that at times. And that's why I have to remind myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Yeah. And another thing I like to reframe is when, whether we're in an off season or a prep, 
the goal is the same always. Yeah. The goal is to achieve the physique you want to achieve. The phase changes, but everything else remains the same. So it's not like you're saying, I don't have a goal anymore because you do yeah. have a goal. It's the same goal that you're always working to. It's just you're in a different phase of that goal, which is just, if not more important, because as Paul Standell, who is a friend of mine, always says, it's not body revealing, it's bodybuilding. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget that because they use it as an excuse to get lean because they feel better about themselves that way. Yeah. The 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 attachment that comes to, to being lean and things like that, do you think is that just heavily related to your childhood not being comfortable with your body as a child? Um, I think it's a mix of, yeah, not being comfortable as a child, but also maybe the unhappiness I felt as a child, I, I think it tied up a lot into my weight as well, because I was lucky, like my parents have never had any diet culture around me as a child. Like everything was made from scratch. My mum made lovely home cooked meals. My dad works pretty as it well. We make our own food as a food business. So he's basically yeah. a uh, we used to own a restaurant. Um, my mum never went on any fad diets. There was never any magazines or tabloids around. Like I was never subjected to that at home. So I can't say in any way it was anything to do with my family. Um, it was just me. Like I think I tend to be an overeater. So I think yep. if I were to eat ad libitum, I would eat in excess. Yep. Um, so I'm kind of always battling that in my head. And then when that connects to kind of how I felt as a child, how I was bullied in school, I had to move schools because I was bullied. I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't really know where my place was. Like, I feel like I was always a little bit different in, in the terms that like I loved learning. I wasn't hugely sporty. Uh, I was always okay with being a little bit different. And I think especially in Ireland, and this is why a lot of people from Ireland moved to the UK, is like if you're a little bit different, you don't tend to fit in and you don't, right. you tend to get shunned a little bit. Right. Um, so kind of the combination of all of that, I think, is the is the issue is that I, I attach the weight I was to how I felt at that time and yeah. everything that happened at that time. Okay. Um, and then obviously like my ability to control my weight and get leaner and give me all those positive results. It's hard to let go of that because yeah. you look better, you feel better, you get more compliments people notice you you're doing all these shoots and you look amazing and you get all these like this adrenaline rush this dopamine hits like everything is great and then you gain weight and people like and I don't really care what people think about me it's more about how I feel about myself but yeah, you know good. people forget about you people you know you're not the, the person of the moment anymore off season can be quite monotonous and, and boring you know because you're doing the same thing day in day out but you're not seeing the results that you would if you're leaner yeah. um so it is more of a process where you do have to remind yourself because you don't keep getting these reminders of how well you're doing because no one's going to, no one's your cheerleader in off season realistically. And that's something Jazz and I really talk about is your real friends there for you year round, not the ones that come out during prep saying, oh, you look amazing. You know, <laughs> you're doing well. You know, with Jasmine, she got the overall at the weekend. I'm seeing all these people posting saying how amazing she did. And I was like, and we were talking about this. Where were you? Yeah. through a hard time where were you when she was in off season where were you when she needed you yeah. um and we talk about that all the time um, I think I think that's important so one of the things I'm and you've got a book that I actually gave to Jazz as a birthday present and I annotated and things like that one of the things I wrote in there was the um and I wanted Jazz to know this when she was in her off season it was you know you are not your physique you are not your business like that isn't your identity yeah because i think we can get caught up in especially with like the age of social media it's like okay 
this guy is this guy, this girl is this girl, this is what they do, they are their business, this is their identity, when like, I always say to Jazz, I'm like, Jazz, I know you're an amazing competitor, I know you're an amazing businesswoman, and I'm proud of all that, but like, I can give two shits if you're a postwoman, you know, I, I'm yeah. friends with you for you, Um, I, I don't I don't care what you do for a living, that's not your identity to me, yeah. Um, if I'm hanging out with, with either of you on a weekend, it's because I enjoy hanging out with the person. And that, again, doing these podcasts is good because the person is who I enjoy. Like, yeah. say, Holly at the Physique Collective or at Holly at the Physique Collective, that's, again, like a brand. It's a business, but it, it's not the person uh, I know behind the scenes, which is which is an awesome person. You were... um. You you were talking about something there about if you didn't track, you think you'd probably overeat. Have you ever had like a day of habitual eating and then tracked it to see how much you did eat? So I have done that recently. Like I think just after my shows, I went home for a week and I didn't track it. But I think it's a little bit different now because, you know, as we know from Dean and Lizzie, like the informed approach is not necessarily the same as an intuitive approach. Um, And a lot of people say, you know, intuitive eating doesn't always work because there's plenty of people that intuitively and are overweight or have problems um so for me I can do it now because I'm informed but back in the day when I didn't know anything about nutrition I wouldn't have been able to do it like I would do things like you'd probably do the same like I would try and lose weight by like cutting out salt from my diet right yeah mine was very much cut carbs (laughs) or one I see but at least that's something like I would cut out salt or I would switch from diet coke to regular coke because I thought that diet coke was worse for you you know okay no concept so I had to learn about the nutrition to actually have an idea to then be able to adopt an informed approach which I can do now but I wouldn't have been able to at the time yeah the problem the problem I've found in the past, definitely not so much now, I'd say I'd say I've got as good a hold on nutrition than I probably will ever have. But the the problems I found in the past when I started tracking was I'd get to a point where I was tracking X amount of calories and maybe not seeing progress. And I would watch a YouTube video. It was like, you know, if you cut carbs, you'll lose weight. And the problem with that is, yeah, you do because you drop a load of water retention, you drop a load of glycogen storage. And I did like keto for like three days and lost like four kilos. And I was like, this right. is it. This is the magic. Like, there we go. I've hacked the system. I'm just not going to eat carbs ever again. Obviously, that led to then excessively eating carbs every time I did eat them. Um, but again, it's, it, it's, I found myself in this position now. And I don't know if it's because the way my mind works is I get into something, into a hobby or into a task or into a job. Uh, and then I just kind of give my everything to that. And food becomes sort of a, a backdrop to all of that so for example if i today was like i'm gonna do this go to the gym go to work i could quite easily get through all of that and, and come back at 8 p.m and then finally eat because my mind is oh, i need to get these tasks done and things like that so the reason i track is maybe opposite to you it's because if i didn't track i'd probably very much under consume i'd probably feel very low energy i'd probably have very very minimal amounts of muscle um so tracking for me is kind of sort of this this good um settling point um, but this is a conversation we've had before that I want to go into now. And that's you've been competing, obviously, like you said, since what, 2018? 2018, yeah. So how long, if you were to give it a number, how long do you think you'll be competing for, do you think? So this is a real tough one. I think myself and Jasmine have been thinking this. And I think the main reason why I've had this in my head as to, you know, what is my timeline here is my 
30s are approaching at the end of this year. Okay. Um, when I started competing, I never thought I would even, as I said, I didn't even think I'd do more than one show. And here I am nearly six years later, still here. And I've gone yeah. through so many phases of my life. I've gone through so many jobs. I've gone through so many places I've lived. And the only constant has been that I'm still a competitor. Yeah. Um. So I think it made me kind of have a think about what my plans are for the future as in finding a partner settling down having children like as we know I think I think these days it is a bit more common to kind of settle down and have children a bit older um, and especially from like my parents would have been married already like they actually wouldn't have had me because it took them quite a while to have me um but I start to think in timelines wise like I should maybe have a partner by this time I should have a kid by this time I should be married by this time and obviously competing is definitely throws a massive spanner in the works with that like my mum always kind of tells me about that because it does really uh minimize your pool of available partners in a way because not only you know it's obviously being around competitors and bodybuilders and people who go to the gym does change your perception of like what you view as physically attractive uh, but also on the logistics side as well, someone who's going to accept that I train five times a week, yeah. that I have to take my food with me, that I meal prep, that I live this life, that I eat, sleep and breathe, everything about it. Yeah. Um, that is a big ask for someone to take on and something that would be unusual for someone to take on if they weren't doing it themselves. Yeah. So it is a big question. But at the same time, like, I don't feel like I've made... I don't feel like I'm happy to close the chapter yet because I still feel like I have unfinished business. Yeah. Um, post-show, as we spoke about before, back in December, I did have a think being like, do I want to do this again? Like mainly because mm. the post-show was so hard that you're like, yeah. is this even worth it? <laughs> because it was so rough. Um, And my goals aren't necessarily to get a pro card or to, you know, have any specific accolades, but I still feel like I have, more left in me there's more to give to to what you're doing I have more to give and I feel like I have I can challenge myself more I can push myself more I do still want to build more muscle and have like a more developed physique and obviously I want to be able to reveal that on stage or something like that but I just feel like I've I've only done three seasons but I've done 12 shows in total but I've also tried every single federation under the sun and I still feel like I haven't yet found my federation okay Jasmine also kind of finds as well that she feels torn because she suits some but not others but she suits some more and and it it is kind of difficult to kind of find your place where some people just go for one federation they're in it for life and they're happy there whereas I've experimented a lot more than that okay. um, and it, I've loved it it's really fun to try all the posing routines and all the different styles and the matching all the criteria and all the categories and stuff uh, but I would like to find my home before I retire I think yeah, yeah that makes complete sense you um Obviously, in the time we've known each other, so we've been incredibly good friends um, in a very short amount of time since sort of December time. We've had like a turbo friendship development. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the story of a lot of my friendships, you know. We've, we've had a turbo. I mean, I've, I've said to, I spent the weekend with Dean and Lizzie. I said, guys, I've only known you a year. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty nuts, isn't it? I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And very much the same sort of applies to us. And obviously in the time that I, I spent with you, um, very co- sort of big group social setting. Prior to obviously the time I started hanging around with you and things like that, were you 
were you quite a big socialite or were you sort of more work, train, home, eat, repeat? Ooh, so this depends. So when I was in university, going back, I would have gone out a lot, quite quite a lot in like maybe first and second year. And then I turned into a hermit for my last two years of university just so I can kind of get through my degree because it was quite yep. challenging. Uh, I always say moving to Cambridge turned me into a granny because... <laughs> Obviously, there's not a great social life there and I didn't really know that many people. So that is when I find the gym and that is kind of when my life kind of switched towards prioritizing the gym. Uh, but that being said, I I am a socialite in terms of not necessarily, like I don't equate being a socialite like someone who just goes clubbing and goes to parties. No, no yeah, yeah. I, I feel, I always say that I have an alter ego and her name is Expo Holly because when I go to an expo, I feel like my other the other side of my personality comes out because I feel bubbly I feel vivacious I feel excited I will talk to anyone I'll make friends with everyone uh, by the end of it I will know everyone there yeah uh, and I love that side of me so sometimes I go through tough times where I, I kind of lose that side of me who is the kind of bubbly outgoing um extroverted person um because I feel like that's really helped me not only to make friends in the industry and you know create those relationships but also to give me the success I have to get to where I am like if it weren't for that if it weren't for Fit Expo 2021 I'd never be a part of the Physique Collective right. um, and I'd never have these opportunities oh how are you still there just from talking to people making friends showing them what I know yeah uh, getting to know them as individuals getting to know me as an individual um, and more than just kind of trying to be professional or you know I feel like sometimes people go about things the wrong way in terms of how they want to climb the ladder. Um, yeah. And I think being genuine and just being yourself goes a long way with that. Yeah. Well, there was one thing I, I, I'd say I realized about you, and this is for all the listeners to hear, is the the person on social media, say Hollywood Physique Collective, is very driven, committed, it hit, I'd say you, your your external, I've said this to you before, was that you're a very committed individual. You're very loving a bodybuilding, which I know you are, and things like that. But then when I got to know the person, I was like, I don't think you see much of that person. <laughs> Lately, you do. But prior to when I met you, I don't think I saw, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a completely different person. Yeah. Um, but that, again, that's one of the things I think that it is absolutely awesome about you is you can also have this switch that you can flick professionally um because at the end of the day some people do want that professional side they do want um that social media professionalism they do want that coaching professionalism but then i also think some people do love the 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 conversations like this where they're like oh my god i get to know about what holly did 10 years ago and nine years ago and eight years ago and and things like that um and you're going into obviously we touched uh, upon the finishing competing one day and seeing where your life goes and things like that how do you think you would approach fitness nutrition, everything in in all of that sector when you were no longer competing? How do you think like your sort of training and nutritional life would look? Yes, I was actually talking to a few people about this at the weekend because one of my friends said that she thinks that this might be her last year of competing. Okay. Um, And she was just sick of the extremes. And Mm. I feel the same way, you know, having to get excessively heavy or for you excessively heavy in an off season, then to get excessively lean, for you know a competition or a shoot or whatever you're doing like I would just love this middle ground where you have this kind of happy weight yeah where you might fluctuate like plus or minus five pounds or so where like 
you say it this way and you might get a little bit leaner for the the summer holidays or you might get a little bit gain a little bit of weight for winter time or christmas and you hover around this kind of nice little buffer yeah uh so that is where i'd like to kind of weight wise do um in terms of training i feel like i'd probably train in the same way but yeah. i might not train as much like i would say probably three to four sessions a week rather than five yeah, yeah. um just to make sure I had time to kind of implement and make sure I looked after other aspects of my life as well. Because at the moment, like the gym, I I map my life around the gym and in my calendar, my session goes in first and everything else goes in around that. Okay. Yeah. Um, So obviously I don't think that's necessarily a sustainable way to do for life. Um, But in terms of food, like I love, you're the same. Like I love all my meals. I love food. Um, I would happily eat this food for the rest of my life. Like none of it is difficult for me, but I suppose it would just be having like that little bit more flexibility, you know, maybe going out to eat a bit more often, um, just winging it a bit more often, you know, going to friends' houses or like, you know, I I always think it's funny when I compare myself and my friends to my parents, like they would think it was so weird if we all went, say we go to Joe's house and we all bring our meal prep. (laughs) Like if my mum goes to someone's house, she's like, ask for a glass of wine like you know they make dinner together or like someone brings some dessert or, yeah you know, it's I very know. Much like collaborative um whereas you come to mine and you know everything's there to to prep your own food but like everyone just brings their own meal prep with them which to, to her is like ridiculous yeah. um you know to get to a point where you can just go to someone's house and not worry oh I, i'm gonna miss a meal so i better bring some tupperware with me and just kind of say you know oh i'll just have a snack if i get there i'm sure she'll have something i can eat or i'm sure you know yeah like that because it is mad when you think about it. it it is funny when we often when we do hang out it is a social group um me and kerry have occasionally cooked breakfast and things like that and it's um <laughs> i think i think it was actually the first time we met and i cooked breakfast the next morning and um it was good because of, again from what i knew from social media you, you again this very adherent bodybuilder because you're in your off season you're like oh, i'm not gonna track this and i was like yeah. that's so cool like yeah good um because again like uh, again the breakfast was was very much just chicken sausages bacon medallions uh eggs sourdough uh very much a, a bodybuilder's british breakfast but it was a good it was a good exercise for me though because obviously i was just post-show and you yeah. know like post-show i did struggle to gain the weight mentally yeah. Um, so I remember you just handed me a piece of sourdough toast with some honey and salt. You were like, try this. And that was me like, for a second, I was like, should I try this? And I was like, of course I should try this. Like my yeah, friend's yeah. just giving me a, a piece of delicious honey on toast. So I, yeah. I enjoyed yeah. it, but I did have that initial, like, should I have this? And then I was like, yeah, of course I should, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, again, it, it, that, those are the aspects of, again, uh, again, like I said, hanging out that, that I very much enjoy is seeing, Seeing the person behind, I think the bodybuilder or the coach and things like that. I remember there was a, uh, there was one day, it must have been like a Sunday. Um, and I think we, we, we celebrated someone's birthday and, um, I stayed with Joe for the, and jazz the whole day and I didn't go home till very late at night. And, um, we for breakfast and for dinner, Joe didn't track. And I remember thinking it was no way. crazy. I mean, he's probably going to listen to this and castrate me now. Um, <laughs> But basically, we, we we had breakfast, which I believe I'd cooked everyone breakfast. Um, this was like the beginning of that. Um, so cooked everyone this sort of breakfast and, and things like that. And then we just literally monged out on the sofa for the entire day. And then when it got to dinner time, I said, what should we have for dinner? And we had this like leftover Turkish food. And um, I was just in the kitchen. I was like, bro, what do you want? He was like, 
Joffo just just load up the plate, just throw it up. Then we just like shared this Turkish feast of just like leftover meat and salad and things like that. And I remember, I remember thinking like, my God, Joe didn't track. (laughs) (laughs) And it being like the craziest thing. But again, is someone who, again, I'm not a competitor, but but I do very much love and, and adhere to things as much as possible. It was very cool to see that little breaking of the mold just for like a day or just for a meal. Um, I really enjoy that because I think it's though we all love tracking our food and it gets us to a certain point and we love everything that comes with tracking our food and things like that. I think when you have these moments where people go, yeah, we're just going to eat together and not worry about the caloric protein value. You're like, Oh, this is quite nice. Um, But no, I think what you said there is a really good way to approach it. Because again, I spent the weekend, like I said, with Dean and Lizzie and seeing how they approach food is very, I want to say inspirational of how potentially people who have come from this extreme end can go to. Um, again, for example, to, to run through his full day of eating, uh, Dean on Sunday morning would have like um, a couple of these like chalupa style wraps with some some meat and some cheese and some veggies then for like lunch, he had this like sausage roll from uh, this food market. And then I know he always finishes his day with like a, a big bowl of core and fruit and almond butter. So um, and I look at that and I go, you know what? That That's perfect. Like if you want to wake up on a Sunday morning, get a sausage roll from a bakery. But then you have like your normal meals for the rest of the day. Like, yeah, good. That That's yeah. pretty damn cool. Because um, obviously he retired from bodybuilding last year and, and things like that. Um, have you said... Um, Looking at your relationship with food and things like that, would you say it's probably the best it's ever been? Yeah, I think it's definitely much, much better than it like it has been before. I remember when I was younger, like I would have those like fear foods I wouldn't eat and I'd be afraid to eat certain things. Uh, whereas nowadays, because I've developed so much of an awareness around nutrition, you know, I've done nutrition qualifications and everything. And obviously I have so much experience in, um, in coaching and as being a client that you can kind of remove the emotion from the food when you know it's just it's just values like everything just has a specific makeup and it doesn't make it good or bad and whether it's good or bad is going to depend on your goal and your available budget and your requirements and how much you enjoy it and how much you want it and there's so many different factors that go into it there's a book I have to here actually oh let me grab it have you read this let me have a look a cookie no but I feel like you've told me about yeah so I recommend this book to anyone because it says using mindfulness to lose weight but it's not really about losing weight it's basically the practice of mindful eating okay um and reading this book like honestly really changed my view of how I approach food and what food was to me removing the emotion from it and just like the practices involved I used to be one of those people who thought I had to finish my plate and I just yeah. gave myself that identity I have to finish my plate and then I realized like that was kind of of something I was telling myself and because I was telling myself it it became a reality okay. um but taking back control of your eating and how you approach f- food and how you view food honestly is a game changer so if anyone mm-hmm. struggles the joy of half a cookie is a brilliant book and it has lots of practices and actual like um exercises to do as you go through it so I'd recommend it to I recommend it to all my clients as well because I think it really helps Mm. basically the premise is like you can have half a cookie and enjoy it and savor it and be able to kind of put the other half away you don't have to eat the whole thing to get the full experience which I think is extremely 
extremely important, like you said, when it comes to, to mindful eating. But yeah. the, the book thing, and, and I know we gossiped on this like earlier. Um, obviously, you've got a book that I give to Jazz. Uh, the yeah, book is called the, <laughs> the Burnout Survival Kit. Can't yes. remember who it's by, um, but I remember purchasing this uh, about a year ago. I think I purchased it around February time. Uh, when I was in Stratford. Um, what have, if you were to give one thing you've learned from the burnout survival kit, so how to avoid burnout and things like that, what would you say that is? Um, I think the main takeaway I have is like the normalizing of the feeling of it, because it's very often, especially like people like us, yeah, we're in WhatsApp groups and we're around people who are extre- extremely driven, ambitious hardworking, successful. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy when you are struggling and you feel that you're not doing enough and you're not performing as you should to feel like a bit of a failure or to feel like you're not keeping up with everyone else. Um, so I think that book helped me to see that everyone goes through that. No one can be 100% productive all the time. And sometimes being unproductive is productive um, yeah. because I struggle a lot of the time of because I live on my own. Um, I don't really tend to have much downtime. Like I'll be reading or watching courses or doing some sort of research until I get to bed a lot of the time. Um, So that book helped to give me kind of the permission I needed um, to have the time to switch off and that everyone is human. Everyone has a battery that will deplete that you need to recharge. Um, And you can't just run on empty uh, because you will run out of fuel and you'll need to kind of uh, restore yourself at some point. And I think that was really helpful. And just like the practical advice that kind of gave you and like even the simple things that they advise you to do, you know, like having your own workstation that's away from your bed or having like various pastimes or um, just little bits like that just make you realize that you're not you're not alone. Yeah. Because I, I do tend to like if I burn out tend to feel a bit guilty about it because yeah. I feel like I, sh- I should be able to manage this because yeah. other- it looks like other people do on social media but yeah. obviously that's not always the case and it's all smoke and mirrors on Instagram and stuff um but just realizing that we're only human there's only so much we can do and we can't be productive 100% of the day all day long sometimes I feel I have you know two hours I must fill up the space as productively as possible and I feel bad right. if I waste a little bit of it whereas in reality like it's just not possible to be 100% efficient 100% of the time it, it's interesting you say that when I did the the get to know with Joe, um, he actually said a similar thing. One thing I am going to make sure I do is plug in my laptop so that doesn't die on us. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I did um, when I interviewed Joe is he said he sort of dealt with a similar thing. So I think he spoke about he had this day where he had a consult and his consult was cancelled. So he had this sort of free hour in his day. And his day, again, very much sort of surrounded around um, consultations, training, uh, his meals and things like that. And with this spare hour, he sat down, he made a meal and he almost kind of felt quite antsy because he was like, "Mm, I feel like I should be doing something, even though I know sitting down, eating my meal, watching something I enjoy, relaxing is going to be amazing for my recovery, my digestion. He's like, but I really struggle to do so. And I think it comes from this like hyper hyper productive point of view and i think that comes from not necessarily imposter syndrome but perhaps social media feeling that to be as a successful coach or be as a successful business person as someone you follow you need to completely replicate the work they're putting in to do so so an example of this is something i found yesterday is someone who works near me was opening a bigger unit so currently owns like a smaller gym runs a similar service to me one-to-one and group pt and things like that 
and has decided to open like a bigger unit, a bigger gym. And for a moment, I kind of caught myself and I was like, man, like um, I suddenly feel the need to start advertising clients owl spots and suddenly they feel the need to start looking at leisure units and things like that. And I was like, I don't want to own a gym. I was like, what am I on about? Like, I don't want to be a business owner of a gym and put all that stress on myself. But it was because you see someone perhaps in the same industry as you doing something maybe bigger and better, maybe in their mind, in my mind, I was like, right, I've got to do the same. Like, oh, he's working 10 hours. I got to work 10 hours, you know? And it was, um, it's definitely something I struggle with. And it's interesting you say that about, um, again, feeling the need to be productive all the time and, and things like that. Were you, were you like that previously, uh, when you weren't coaching? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for my, for example, my university, um, exams, I would study for 16 hours a day. Like I would oh, literally okay. get up. I used to get up in secret because I didn't want my mom to know what I was up because she wouldn't let me get up. Right. Sneak downstairs study all day I wouldn't leave the house I wouldn't leave my dressing gown my mum would have to try and get me up to walk a lap around the garden to move she would like bring me in food because I wouldn't even want to like get up to eat um and yeah I would do that for the whole all of the exams so yeah I've always been like that (laughs) have you um so to 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 round off this this podcast my friend and based on everything we've we've sort of gone into there and that bit part specifically What's one thing do you think you want to work on going forward that you think would benefit your life? Ooh, that is a tough one. Um, I think what I've really discovered, and this is something that I've been quite excited about, is that since even I've turned 29, which is yep. back in December, I feel that I've nearly entered into a new dimension of my life that I didn't even think ex- should exist or would exist. Um, because you know everyone always says you know when you get into your 30s everything gets boring and you get old whatever but I'm quite excited about my 30s because I feel like I'm finally starting to figure out who I am uh, my purpose why I'm here um, and kind of what I'm on this earth to do not that I feel you know that everyone has I'm not I'm not very uh, what's the word spiritual yeah I'm not very spiritual but you know what I mean like um I finally feel like I know my place because growing up, I didn't really have a place. I didn't really have that many friends. Um, obviously fell into the bodybuilding world and um, realized that not only could I compete, but I actually could become someone who could teach others and mentor others and educate others. And that is a huge part of my life and my purpose is, you know, in developing knowledge for other people and helping them to grow their education and stuff like that. Um, but also the crowd of friends that we, I've just come into like I've been fortunate enough to just discover Japo, which has been <laughs> honestly incredible like I don't think like I know it's hard because obviously Japo isn't a competitor um but honestly you coming into my life in December has completely changed my, my whole kind of trajectory almost like because having you at, like as a signboard like I think we are very similar in how we think mm. um and how we perceive ourselves and how we yep. kind of perceive our, our interactions with others and having you to kind of bounce back and forth with has helped me like infinitely and I'm always so grateful to you honestly you're just we all think you're an incredible person but just Joppo but also the whole crowd of people that I've kind of found myself in even since December has changed my whole perception and view of my life so I'm actually really excited for the future and I'm excited for what's to come this year and in my 30s and onwards because I feel like I'm kind of just getting started Amazing. Um, 
and I kind of forgot what your question was. <laughs> um, it was one thing. Um, that was lovely, though. Thank you, mate. That was very kind. Um, it was one thing you kind of wanted to to work on going forward that you think could benefit your life. So one thing I'd like to just, I think it's kind of reminding myself that play is just as important as work. Um, and the work is very productive and very efficient and it makes me successful. But yeah. if I don't have the play time and the downtime to let my hair down, have fun, be silly, because as Joppo alluded to, I'm very silly, which a lot of people don't <laughs> kind of see that I have that side of me who can just be a laugh. You know, I could be on the on the floor rolling hysterics in tears crying about the stupidest thing because I just love that like mum and myself and my mum have a very similar kind of sense of humor where we just like silly things um so having that ability to switch off be silly have fun don't be holly underscore physique collective just being the holly davidge that I am and being around people that accept me and love me for who I am regardless of whether I'm professional holly or silly holly um I think that is really important and, and being able to do that more, I think, has made my work more productive and made me much happier. Um, so that's what I would do moving forward. Amazing. Holly, this has been, mate, absolutely bloody lovely. So thank you for having me and letting me uh, let me interview for this because it's been awesome. And we'll be seeing each other in a few days. So that's always exciting. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I will I will again say thank you for the listeners for listening uh, but i will i'll throw it over to you to sign off for uh everyone yeah guys thank you so much for listening i hope that gave you a little bit of insight into me as a person and not just as a coach and an educator um but if you do enjoy this episode make sure to send us a message let us know if you have any questions or any more uh opinions you'd like to give um, but also you should take a screenshot of it and share it to your story. Tag myself, which is at Holly underscore physique collective and at Joppo underscore nutrition. Is it? I want to say, yeah, <laughs> it's something like that. If you type um, in at Joppo, we'll probably come no, up. No one else is called Joppo. Okay? No one else. There's no other Joppo. <laughs> um, and also the physique collective as well. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you in the next one. Thank you. See you later, Holly.